0: that ship's off limits no one's supposed to be on board until further instructions yes yes we are Uh, affirmative that's an impounded imperial ship what's your call sign pilot um we have to go it's um
1: say something come
0: on rogue rogue one
1: rogue one there is no rogue one Well, there is now. Welcome to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hoth, our hosts, Carl Leclerc and Jason Hunt, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair Podcast. This is episode number 270, Road One Commentary. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Galen Urso. to my director, Orson Krennic, we have Carl Leclerc. Jason, I am so... So excited to talk some Rogue One. And
0: by talk some Rogue One, I mean literally talk through
1: the entire film. <laughs> yes, yes, we are going to be the annoying people sitting in the back of the movie theater who will not shut up. <laughs> but you listen to us for that. <laughs> right. Say more, say more.
0: So yes, everybody, we, we have been wanting to do this for a while now. It's been well over a year since Rogue One has been released. So Jason and I are going to be watching... And talking through the entire film of Rogue One. So if you would like to watch along with us as we do our commentary, you can certainly do so by inserting your Blu-ray, DVD, or MP3 file, or Netflix, or Amazon Prime file at this time.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yes. Cue it up to a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, because we want to be different. Um, And pause it, and we'll let you know when we're going to start.
0: That's exactly right, my friends. That is exactly right. Exactly. Um, So because we are doing an audio commentary, we are saving our matchup – excuse me, our poll from last episode until next week. So um, stick
1: around to the end of the episode and we will remind you what that will be. Exactly. Um, I'm all set up with my Blu-ray DVD, MP3, Netflix, Amazon file thingy. Are you? (laughs) Correct. I am. Okay, good. So good. Um, if you
0: are watching along with us, like we like we said, um, man, I am really jumbling my words here. I'm just so excited to watch Rogue One. <laughs> 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 to be fair, though, the music is really what helps make this film as amazing as it is, and I will have it very low on the volume. But like Jason said, we have it queued up at the A Long Time Ago in a Galaxy Far, Far Away. So if you are queued up with us, And if you are not, maybe pause for a moment and get yourself set up. But we are going to start in 3, 2, 1, punch it in good old-fashioned Han Solo repertoire. Um, Jason, are you ready to go, my friend?
1: I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's do it. So
0: we are going to hit play in 3, 2, 1, punch
1: it. There we go. long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Oh yeah, I forgot. This is the only Star Wars movie so far without a crawl. Actually, I didn't forget. I just wanted to say that. (laughs) Did you, did that bother you that we didn't have a crawl? No, because they were talking about it for a while and I had wondered if they were even going to do it uh, to begin with. So um, I thought it might have helped initially to sort of like give an idea of when the movie was. Uh, But I don't know. It, It works without it. But then again, I'm really into knowing where all this stuff lies and compared to the other movies. So,
0: right. And, and like, to be fair, like if you've read the, uh, the novel catalyst by James Lucino, I mean, that novel leads you right up into really the beginning of this film, which was really cool. Um, But even if you hadn't, I really don't think you need an opening crawl. And again, I, I love that they're reserving the opening crawls for the saga films, right? Like that's, that's something that has been in Star Wars ever since the saga has been told, but I don't think you necessarily need it in the standalones and especially with the way, you know, Disney seems to be moving forward with Star Wars properties is to give us you know, more regular standalone films, even standalone trilogies now with with Ryan Johnson and the Game of Thrones creators. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you need um, opening crawls for every Star Wars film um, that I think I like that it's it's going to inevitably be reserved for the saga films.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good way to distinguish things a bit more, to keep things a bit separated out. Um, I will say though, the prologue here in the movie in, in Rogue One is, is fantastic. Um, they're, they really set up quite well, um, uh, some of our primary characters and a bit of what's at stake, um, in this prologue. And so the prologue does the job of the, the crawl anyways.
0: Right, yeah, it's 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 just a different way of doing a, a an opening crawl in, in a way, you know.
1: Yeah, like like what we had in uh, the Clone Wars with the uh, the narrator at the beginning, you know, war, you know, <laughs> systems divided by war, you know, all that fun stuff, you know, Tom Kane doing his best forties narrator impression. Um, so it, it's just another way of doing it, and and I like it. Um, it's also where we get to, you know, really meet and and find out who galen urso is he's a bit of the MacGuffin in this movie i think we talked i think we called him that when we did our mcguffins episode but he's he and his message are kind of the MacGuffin of this film he's talked about a lot but this is the part where we really know find out who he is yeah you know and
0: again i want to give a shout out to his um space under armor shirt that he's wearing because it's amazing <laughs> and i can't wait to just cosplay as farmer Galen or so at a star wars event um but yeah i mean there's such incredible intros to all of our characters here um and most notably is krennic right like we get his theme as his shuttle mm-hmm. comes flying and you know it's it's a, it's a, and and gareth edwards was very Clear about the, his desire to you know kind of mimic the opening of a new hope, but like kind of you know offsetting things by making the main villain in white and then the troopers in black, you know, opposite of Vader who's in black with his troopers in white, um, which I just think is such an interesting and and really fun idea that Gareth had, and I think it just looks so visually stunning. And what's really neat too in just the visuals of this opening prologue is you know, you have what seems to be a somewhat like barren planet, right? Um, Right. Every, like the soil is black and seems to be lifeless, but this particular area where obviously Galen has set his evaporators and right. has committed himself to farming is a very green and lush spot, but it's again, just right off the bat, like the, the, the simple imagery that we often get in star Wars of the difference between, you know, life and death. And, you have this, you know, black landscape which matches the armor of the Death Troopers, right? They are right. Death Troopers, right? So surrounding Galen is death, but in the middle of it, with his family, he creates the sense of life, right? So Galen, at his core, is a man who is trying to promote life, and then you have the forces of death personified in the Death Troopers and Krennic coming in to take him away.
1: Yeah, I will say. Uh, the prologue just helps introduce Krennic in a way that makes me love him. I I love Krennic so much in this, you know, especially the right about here where he's like, "Oh look, this Lyra back from the dead. It's a miracle," <laughs> you know. Obviously, you never believe Galen to begin with, but you know, he's he's not your normal super pretentious uh, imperial villain. He's. A bit more down to earth he's sarcastic he tries to be nice because they're old friends but really he's not leaving without what he wants right you know (laughs) yeah i love that line you know heroes of the empire right um and he's uh he's so good i I don't know how people don't like krennic
0: yeah ben mendelson really does a great job with the character um, and and again, just looking at like like Lyra specifically in this scene, um, right? The way she really like her her visual look, her costume is so, um, you know, similar to that of a Jedi's, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, if you've read Catalyst, you you will have learned that Lyra is somebody who's very fascinated by the Jedi religion. Um, you know, devote yourself to it. And even if you didn't read Catalyst, I mean, we have that scene right here in the prologue where she puts the kyber crystal around Jin's neck and says, trust the Force. I mean, this is a woman of faith. And right. she's passing that faith on to her, her daughter. And, you know, um, this is somebody with faith in the Force who's also similarly dressed to that of a Jedi.
1: Yeah. I will say it's interesting that while we'll see in a flashback later that Galen and Lyra had invited Krennic over to their house and they were, you know, they'd had, um, you know, meals together and time together that Krennic never seemed to take the time to notice if their child was a boy or a girl. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, right. Because he says, all he does is, you know, as the. You know, Lyra is lying there in Galen's arms. He says they have a child. Find it. Right. He doesn't it. <laughs> differentiate gender at all. He's like, you know, it's a, it's an it, not a him or a her. You know, right? I, I just found I always find that interesting. Like he doesn't care enough. He pretends to care, but he doesn't really. Yeah,
0: and you know, in a way too, like. I, like I, I like the way you equated this prologue, Jason, to like that of an opening crawl, right? It's it's a different way of doing an opening crawl for a Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. and um, you know, not to be too specific to right now, but with the the recent solo trailer we got, you know, we seemed to, in a way get some sort of potential for a prologue there, right? Like right. a younger Han Solo, um, and I like this potential idea, and again, I could be completely wrong with this, but how neat would it be if? in these standalone films instead of getting opening crawls we get some sort of opening act that acts as an opening crawl i think that would be really cool um, i agree but within the prologue we essentially get in a, in a way the thesis of this movie and that jin is a character who loses her home this is why i love the character of jin is because it makes her so relatable this is someone who's like, home was taken from them. And I think, you know, the, the definition of home is, is is very ambiguous. It can mean lots of things to different people. But I think what makes Jin such a relatable character is we've all had that experience of of losing home. Whether, whether that means, like, physically losing our homes, right, by, like, selling childhood homes or moving away from home. Whatever losing home might mean, I think that's a very human experience. And this prologue opens by sh- saying, here's a character who's lost home and essentially her journey in this film is to find her way back home again.
1: Yeah. Um, and we and we see that she, you know, many years later is still so far from home. Yeah. And then we get a character in Cassian who is obviously quite far from home as well because this is a very, you know, we get the idea from uh, this location. And, of course, I just forgot the name of it as it's... The Ring of Kafrene. So what? The Ring of Kafrene. That's right. The Ring of Khafrein. It it's it looks like a stopover. It looks like a rest stop. This is not a place people settle. This is a, a through point. This is a place where people stop to, you know, exchange ships or cargo or you know, fuel up or something like this. this is this is not a place people call home. Um, and we have Cassian who seems to be very far from home. He does, it's not almost like he doesn't even know what home is. Right. Anymore. Yeah. yeah. And uh- I love,
0: I I love the look of the set of the ring of kafreen. That opening shot still has always been very odd to me. It just, it makes me just think of something from Gattle Galax. Oh my gosh. Guardians Guardians of of the Galaxy. Thank you. Yeah. Not galaxy of heroes. That's a star Wars app, (laughs) 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 but yeah, it makes me think of something from guardians of the galaxy. It's, it is a little, it's still to me, even, you know, a year later and as much as I love this film, that's still the one shot that just seems odd to me. Um, but as soon as we zoom down into it, like, it, it just feels very much like a Star Wars setting. Yeah. And, yeah. and also, too, like, there's parts of the scene that really make me think of, like, the Rebels series, you know, the TV series. Just, oh, yeah. again, like, this is, like, an uprising on some random place, and, oh, here comes the stormtroopers, right? Like, stormtroopers just seem to be everywhere in the galaxy at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're ubiquitous. They, you know, you can't escape them um they're just always there uh and Cassian obviously is someone who appears to have used to have had a soul but he keeps doing things that go against his better judgment in the name of the cause as we saw him shoot his informant there you know and obviously he felt like you know that wasn't what he wanted to do but he felt he had to so yeah
0: what did you think when you saw that the first time when you saw Cassian shoot this guy in the back
1: it surprised me. I did not expect it at all. Um, I I was taken aback a little bit, and you know because he's he's the good guy. He's one of the good guys in this in this Star Wars movie. And good guys a lot of time, you know, not all the time. You get Han Solo and Anakin, um, who are not pure good guys, you know. But we get Luke and you know young Anakin and Obi Wan, who is a very pure minded person. But Cassian is not. He's dirty. He's been in the trenches. Um but not as dirty as these folks here. That's for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no it, you know I remember the first time I saw the movie it I didn't even I, I was like whoa did he just shoot that I remember seeing it with um you know I was sitting next to my at the time girlfriend and I just turned to her and I was like wait did he just shoot that guy? She was like yeah and I was like oh my gosh I didn't even like it just it totally took me by a surprise. And, you know, um, it was, it was just, it was crazy. Um, yeah. and you know, but like you said, like that, that there's that establishing shot of his face, like his, you know, um, I'm totally Diego Luna. Like he really does a great job of selling the, the conflict that exists in Cassian in that scene, right? Like he did that yeah. because he knew there was no other option. Like I have to do this, like, or else, you know, he's going to threaten my entire mission. But as soon as he does it, he seems to regret it.
1: Yeah, exactly. He he regrets the choices he has to make. Um, but here we finally get the story moving along. Get- yes,
0: and it's 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 moving very quickly, right? I you know, yes. that's the that's the only consistent complaint that seems to exist still for the film is that you know this this opening part of the film everything feels a little bit choppy the way we jump around, but. It really doesn't. It's just it's establishing, you know, the setting and the conflict of the story, which is, you know, there is Galen who has sent a messenger and, you know, the rebel high command is is questioning whether this is a, a, um, you know, a valid lead. And now he's in the hands of Sagarera, this extremist. So, well, Well, the the one thing to connect all these dots is his daughter.
1: Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, is with a lot of movies where you have a, a large ensemble uh, cast, um, many of them could have the the complaint of the beginning feels choppy because you have to introduce all the characters. You know, you have to establish who they are. You have to establish why they're there. Um, and, and it can be a little choppy just simply because of the amount of people that you have to make sure you keep introducing. Um, and and that's the case with Rogue one is it has a large ensemble um, and it's not a an overly simplified plot. It's a simple plot, but it has some complex stuff inside it and so you have to kind of establish all of that um, because the characters are complex while while the overall plot I guess is simple for this movie, there's plans. To stop the Death Star, we have to get them. The characters who have to fulfill those plans to take – to get those plans to fulfill the plot are complex. And we have to keep establishing that and take time to make sure that they – we get all the correct motivations and the correct information for the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But frankly, I like the fact that we get to – you know it's a little jumpy because we get to see all sorts of different places – and, you know, see more of the galaxy, meet a few characters, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. How did you feel about, you know, the fact that they gave us planet titles?
1: Um, I like it, to be perfectly honest, because I like to know all the names of the places. And especially at the very beginning of this movie, we hit like four or five planets in the space of like 10 minutes, you know, yeah, lost and them. they're like. <laughs> Here, let's we need to make sure everyone knows that we're not just jumping around one planet. We got to, you know, establish really where we were at. And so I think it, it helped me a little bit, but I also like to know all these things and so it helps me learn where everything is. Um and of course, you know, the the prison planet Wobani is just a, you know, an anagram of Obi-Wan.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Oh my gosh, you're right.
1: It is. <laughs> it, that was directly done. That was on purpose. <laughs> That's amazing.
0: I never knew that, but yeah, it makes sense. Um, but you know this this particular scene with the uh, Jin being questioned by kind of the high command. Again, I think the most important part of this scene, um, you know, the the mission part is like kind of the surface level, like oh, yep, this is what mm-hmm. we're about, right? We need Jin to contact saw for us like he she's a connection point that might actually work for us because saws kind of gone off the deep end but i think more than anything this scene is ultimately establishing jin's relationship to the rebel alliance at large but to cassian specifically um i love the way he just comes in and grills her like he seems to have such a beef with her right off the bat right um which to me is like kind of an unfair beef like he doesn't like her because of who her father is and it's like she's not connected with her father anymore and Cassian doesn't seem to care. He just Cassian is somebody who's been through the ringer as we learn later in the film. And he's just very skeptical of everyone.
1: Um, and which is and prob- it's not like he really has any proof that he should believe what she's saying either, you know, that she hasn't seen him for, you know, over a decade, you know, that nothing in her history, in her dossier, uh gives him any any reason to believe a word she says yeah you know so and he obviously as we'll find out here in a second um is not one to trust easily which neither is she so. right
0: right um you know something i would love to see in this final few episodes of of Rebels which starts back next week um i would love to see Kanan and Cassian interact i don't think we will But I would just love. It doesn't necessarily. I mean, it doesn't even need to happen. I would just love it because those are two of my favorite Star Wars characters.
1: (laughs) And get them in
0: one place at one time together. Exactly. And right, like this movie showing us the ghost was the first evidence we had that, you know, um, that the at least the ghost and Hera were going to survive through this the Rebel series, right? Um, But. One of my favorite things in this particular scene as well is just all the great shots we get of Cassian in his in his uniform and his costume, it's so Buck Rogers and I love that. I love how Buck Rogers he looks.
1: I I love I love his costume here, this one. Um Sans puffy vest. Um I just like the jacket. Me too, yeah. Like, I hate the puffy vest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want that jacket. You know, there's I think it's novos sells the jacket. And I'm like, yeah. I want it.
0: Yeah, Anova sells that. so much good stuff.
1: It's I mean, it more affordable. <laughs> yeah, right. That's just the thing, is it's, it's expensive. Now, my biggest question is should I get the jacket first or should I go for a uh, director Krennic cape first? Director Krennic crepe. Is, is yeah, that even I'm a thinking, question? I think I'm thinking I should get the cape. Um, that way that way when you go dressed as farmer I almost said farmer Brown, uh farmer Galen, um I can be dressed as Director Krennic.
0: (laughs) I would love it. I would love it. Um, I you know I I like this scene here with the fact that like Jin brings a gun with her because she knows where they're going and she knows she can handle herself and um right casting of course is immediately like you've give the, you know, hand it over because he doesn't trust her. Right. But she makes this, you know, I love this. I, the statement she makes trust goes both ways. She's essentially saying, you know, if you, if you give me a little bit here, it, I'll give you a little bit more later. Right. Yeah. Um, and the, the one thing that in a way connects these characters, even though they don't particularly like each other at this moment is their aptitude for violence. Right. You know, casting is a very effective um, covert op and Jin has been a very effective soldier for much of her life. The one yeah. thing that ultimately connects them is their, you know, their ability to perform combat. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the one thing they seem to right here bond over. Right. Uh, Cassian's not too afraid of her having a gun because maybe in his mind she's not that much of a threat. Like he thinks he can handle her, and she's thinking to herself, "Well, he's a big threat. I better
1: have a gun just in case, right?" Yeah. Um, I, I also like how you know when they ask where'd you get it, and she just says, "Oh, found it, you know, around." And K two, so I was like, "I find that answer vague and unconvincing." Yeah. You know. It's like, well, no, of course. She she went and sought out a gun and she procured one probably uh unbeknownst to whoever she slipped it out of you know their holster. Um you know. <laughs> she's uh she's a bit of a thief, a bit of a swindly one. But you know, it's all for her protection. Yeah. It's not like Cassian would have done anything different. Right. <laughs> and yeah. Then we get To really learn about Bodie Rook and Saw Gerrera and just how far gone Saw is. And it's interesting to watch, you know, Rebels and see kind of where we first were introduced to him and now where he is here. Do you mean Clone Wars? Well, yes, Clone Wars and then even Rebels when he was reintroduced in Rebels because he's a bit extreme when we're first introduced to him in Rebels and then he keeps getting progressively worse until we get to this point where he's almost completely insane. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, real quick, this is one of the most amazing shots in this movie.
0: The installation of the superweapon? Yes. Yeah, it's really great. They they just, I mean, they've nailed the visual language of Star Wars in this film yeah. so, well, so perfectly.
1: It, it's, it's It's, you know, it's helpful that they, you know... Don't have to really do anything other than what was in A New Hope, right?
0: No, that's yeah, absolutely fair point. You're right. They don't have to invent anything new. They just have to, they just have to essentially copy the language that's been used before, mm-hmm. um, and they do a great job with it. Um, and to me, one of the best things that they they accomplished visually in this movie, as far as um, you know, movie making. Uh, magic goes is what they did with Tarkin. And I know there's yeah. some people that didn't like it. I, I've never understood those complaints. I think he looks perfect. He's always looked perfect. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying now, you know, now that it's released for home release, people are like, oh, well, on the smaller screen, he does look a lot better. I never thought he looked bad on the big screen. <laughs> um,
1: I never did either. You know, it, it, I only knew it was digital because Peter Cushing is dead. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, honestly, it's the only reason I knew it wasn't real. Um, I mean, there's one or two shots where you can kind of tell a little bit, but, you know, I, I think everyone just goes, ah. well, obviously they can't be real. So it's CGI, which means it's terrible, um, you know, and, and I think that's a bit of an extreme reaction. Um, but, you know, Tarkin and even Princess Leia at the end, I thought were pulled off magnificently. Absolutely. So, well, to be fair, I thought that it was just
0: an actor done with rape with great makeup. I, I had no idea that it was CGI until afterwards. Um, so I, by the way, I love this little flashback scene because I love seeing curse on again. And yes, we're only seeing it like kind of as a um, out of focus background shot, but it just, uh, I just, this movie does such a perfect job of bridging the two trilogies. Mm-hmm. um like seeing Coruscant there I'm just like yep this this is the setting of Revenge of the Sith like this f- all feels familiar
1: yeah yeah it, it's really nice to see that again to you know see hey we didn't forget um and it's really nice to get those connections especially as a prequel kid it makes me feel like what i grew up with is still around and still matters so <laughs>
0: yeah now uh, this the, you know the fact that jin that the way she you know shakes awake there right the way she kind of just um shocks back to back to awareness makes you really think that this is some sort of dream she's having mm-hmm. um which again just when you think of star wars lore that we've had in the past who's the character that has dreams anakin the hero right yeah and well and and, and specifically anakin somebody who's okay. very force adept now yeah I'm not trying to say that Jin particularly has the force. Um, I think, honestly, I think that ever since Disney has taken over, one thing they have tried to make very explicit is that the force is essentially available to
1: everybody. Just some people have more of an adept skill with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what I think they're kind of implying because she jerks awake and she, you know, kind of looks at her kyber crystal before putting it away. Is that maybe the Kyber crystal tuned into her emotions and kind of gave her that, you know, vision, dream, you know, kind of helped, you know, channel that those memories um, because she is thinking about her father because yeah. she knows he's still alive now. So I'm guessing that had something to do with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I just like that, you know, um, the dream itself kind of informs her, though, right? It says, you know, all the words she hears, like, she hears her, her father remind, you know, I will always protect you, like, I care about you, right? It's a reminder that, you know, whatever she's about to hear about her father, right, like, the impression she just got from the Rebel High Command is, oh, your father's a traitor, and he's, he works for the Empire now, and he's building them weapons of mass destruction, like, he's evil, right? That's certainly how Cassian views Galen at this particular point. Yep. And Um, General Draven
1: in particular.
0: Right. And, you know, but that vision in a way, that dream kind of reminds Jin before she's about to see this, you know, hologram that nope, indeed your father is good. Like trust him. And right. We get her mother reminder again, you know, she says, trust, we, we, it cuts out the force, but then you hear saw. So to me, it's like, it's pretty explicit, like trust your father and trust saw. Yeah. Um, And I just I love that they do that as kind of a little dream sequence because it just really makes me think that the force is reaching out to Jin here. And again, I'm not saying she's like a chosen one Jedi like the way that Anakin is, but you know, this is a a a tool that we've used in the story before to say that the force is having some sort of interaction with you. And I love that the force, in a way, drives Jin's story and. Um again as somebody who loves biblical stories the idea of being spoken to dream- in dreams is very prevalent in you know the story of of Joseph in the Old Testament and the mm-hmm. you know Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat Joseph the, the, <laughs> you know the the father of Jesus right like he has dreams warning him about Herod and oh got to escape into Egypt but this idea of... So
1: basically, if your name is Joseph, you should be having dreams. Exactly. Infor-
0: <laughs> <laughs> dreams of information. Yeah. So Jin is the Joseph of this story, if you will. <laughs> right. You know, this dream she has is, is more than just, um, you know, happenstance. They wouldn't show mm-hmm. it to us if it weren't important. Yeah. Um, what are your first impressions of Jeddah City? I think it was great. Um, I remember reading the novel. It's meant to be implied that Jeddah is actually a, a, a cold planet, but since it looks like a desert, I just assume it's a, it's a hot planet. But it makes sense because Cassian's got a pretty thick coat on.
1: Um, yeah. Um, it, I guess you could uh, refer to it similarly to the, the Gobi Desert in um, Asia um, it, between China and Russia. Um, yeah. It's yeah, a colder desert. So.
0: But visually, though, I really like it. Again, it just – it. Perfectly fits the language of Star Wars, um, and I love that you know we get these little shots of what look to be like you know religious pilgrims, like these guys with these elaborate hoods and their canes walking mm-hmm. around. I mean, it just it really does a great job of establishing visually the fact that this is a sacred pilgrimage site.
1: Yeah, it does. It really does. And of course, we get the best of the best when it comes to the sacred pilgrim types with the Guardians of the Wills. And oh my gosh, first of all, I love Cherit, and so this introduction is always kind of special to me. I like this. Um, as he, you know, pretends to be some sort of fortune teller, uh, but then kind of tips his hand as he's more insightful than he should be. Um, yeah. But when Cassian said that Cherit and Baze were the guardians of the wills, I near like, my heart nearly jumped into my throat. I was so excited. What about you? When you heard <laughs> that him ex- yeah. calling the Guardians of the Wills, what did you think?
0: I feel like I knew that title before I saw the movie because I don't remember being overly like amazed by it. Okay. Not, not that I was like underwhelmed or disappointed, but I don't remember having that profound of a reaction that you just exp- expressed. Yeah. Um, the thing I like most, though, with the, the introduction of Chirrut, Which we've talked about before, though, is just his theme, right? The Guardian of the Will suite that Giacchino made for this film just reminds me so much of Yoda's theme. And again, even though it doesn't, it's it's certainly not in any way like a a mirror of the Yoda theme. And again, I'm not smart enough musically to even imply that it's has any similar notes. But it just there's something about his theme that just instantly makes me think of Yoda.
1: Yeah. Um, which you, to me is, it is very similar right uh, and the, the tonality and the the emotion the emotionality of it are very similar
0: right and i think that that's just perfect the fact that giacchino can elicit that
1: feeling without just reproducing the same sound i also have to just take a moment to point out that michael giacchino wrote the entire soundtrack to this movie in four weeks yeah He was brought on at the last minute to do the soundtrack and put it together in four weeks. That is a breakneck pace for a fully produced film soundtrack. Um, And the fact that it turned out as well as it did and as brilliantly as it did makes me wonder if we should just, you know, hire Michael Giacchino at the last minute to do all the soundtracks. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I've said it before, and I know this is probably sacrilege
0: to some people, but I think Giacchino is a better composer today than Williams is today. I mean, I think Williams by far is a far more legendary composer than Giacchino, but mm-hmm. I would rather listen to a, a – like if a soundtrack is going to come out tomorrow and it's composed by Giacchino or Williams, I'd pick the one by Giacchino first because I think he's, he's writing better music now. Um, I don't think in history, for certainly not. Like nobody can outdo Williams historically, but right. Giaquino right now, I think, is making better music. And to me, the case in point is Last Jedi. Like it's the music in Last Jedi is fine, but it does not leave a mark the way that Rogue One does.
1: Yeah, I. I... The Rogue One soundtrack is my favorite soundtrack of the the Disney era Star Wars movies. I, oh, you know, by we, we yeah, by far, yeah, even yeah, it's it's
0: way better than. I mean, yes, to be fair, John Williams gave us Ray's theme, which I think is the best theme we've had since Disney has taken over. But as far as is like ex- listening Overall. experience, yeah, I'd, I'll put on the Rogue One soundtrack before either one of the of Force
1: Awakens or Last Jedi. I I love this piece here too. You know, it's I I like the the freneticness, the franticness yes. of it all. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. But you know, he's he's aping John Williams in a way. You know, the, he's this is classic John Williams style soundtrack. You know, the way that you you do it all, and and he's been you know doing that his whole career is as, as John Williams is he he says is is his inspiration, his you know primary inspiration uh, to be a film, uh, composer. So, um, it's just really great to see that he gets it on a level that I, you know, I don't know if anyone else can really get it. So, yeah,
0: I mean, I am a huge G fan even before this film.
1: So yeah, same here. Uh, his star Trek soundtracks soundtracks were amazing. Oh, um, and then of course there's all the Pixar stuff that he's done. Um, Ugh. The Incredibles, which is coming back with Incredibles 2, and I hope he's back for that. Um I love. But anyway. ha! here we go. <laughs> it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. The in, the introduction
0: of the, the badassery that is uh but even the scene right before this, right where you have the little shootout in will and Jin kind of just kicking butt with her baton. Mm-hmm. Um it, what's interesting there is when she and Cassian get cornered like that. Cassian does pop out and he takes down all the stormtroopers on his side with his blaster. Mm-hmm. But we are what? Who were obviously highlighted in that scene is Jin, right? It, in a way, it's like we know the way Cassian's introduced it is kind of this covert op for Rebel High Command. We can almost insinuate that yep, he's definitely, you know, he's he's a heck of a warrior. Yes. Um but w- the film showcases how much of a badass Jin is and I love that.
1: Yeah. We we can assume that the Cassian is skilled as a warrior as a as a soldier as a agent um but we have yet to see what Jin is make, made of and so that they take the moment to to show us there. Yeah. And then
0: we get this. Yeah which Donnie Yen has talked about how he created a
1: new fighting style specifically for this movie. That's awesome. I mean, he's a legendary, you know, Chinese martial artist, action movie star. Um, and I've seen, you know, some of his stuff, his, his Ip Man movies are fantastic. If you haven't seen those, um, yeah. So I, when I found out he was going to be in Rogue One, I was thrilled, and he did not disappoint. Yeah,
0: he's <laughs> he's very good. Yeah. Um,
1: in this film, you almost shot me. You're welcome, and then just blam, right in the face. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, the interaction between cheerton and Pays is so subtle. They the way that they interact and the way that they, you know, communicate and relate to each other is very subtle. Um because they, you know, and you get the idea that it's it is like that because they've been together for so long. They've been, you know, part of a this brotherhood, the guardians of the wills for years and years. And, you know, they've obviously become you know brothers in the fact that they keep you know poking at each other um but I, I i don't know i love the interaction between the two of them because it is subtle and so much of it is done without words um which is even funnier because Sherritt's blind and he can't necessarily see what bays is doing but he can sort of sense it so <laughs> right you know
0: i mean it doesn't that the the young adult <laughs> the young adult novel of you know, guardians of the wills where we get a good sense of their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, it continues to play with that. That fun angle of Chirrut is the perpetually faithful one. Whereas Baze has fallen out of fallen from grace in a sense that he no longer believes. Um, the th- the only thing that he places his trust in is the gun he ha- holds in his hand. Yeah. Yeah. He's the Han Solo character. He <laughs> right? is. Yeah. Um, you know, ancient weapons and – you know, ancient religions and –
1: oh my ancient gosh. Ancient, wep- re- ancient religions and hokey weapons or – no. Yeah. Yeah. Ancient weapons and hokey religions. Yeah. There you go.
0: No match for a good blaster at your side, kid. Um, That's very much the the Bayes character. Yeah. Um, so – the thing I like about this, this scene here where they're initially captured and they're thrown into the cell, you know, Cassian is thrown in with, with Baze and Chirrut. The fact that Chirrut knows so much about Cassian, again, shows that he is this, like, spiritually wise character, right? He, he knows stuff about Cassian that he shouldn't know. Like, he refers right. to him as captain. How does he know he's captain? Right. He doesn't know that like he, he's never heard him referred to as ca- Captain Cassian Andor, but he knows that there's right. And then even more than that, even more than just that surface level of understanding his, his place in this um, militaristically, he also is able to sense, you know, that that prison, you know, I sense you carry yours wherever you go, <laughs> you know, right. um, cheer is very much, you know. Um, the The spiritual figure of this film, and it doesn 't have to ever expressly tell you that because again, what Gareth Edwards has done a fantastic job in the in this film is his ability to work archetypes, right mm-hmm. something that George was infamous for um, and what he gives us in the character of Chira is this archetype of a, a, of a wisdom character, a spiritual character, and something we just know culturally about. What we would consider to be a wise person or a spiritually inept person—not inept, um, adept person—is that they're just somehow capable to see, you know, the heart beneath you. They can see beneath the surface of you, and that's what Chirrut has an ability to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, in a minute here, he's the one who is the first to notice Bodhi in the next cell over. No one else is looking. And and he's sort of just reaching out and trying to get a sense of things. He, you know, notices who Bodhi is. You know, the Bodhi's there, and it's it's the pilot they're looking for. So, um, that was fortuitous because <laughs> otherwise he would have died in that cell, and the whole rest of the movie wouldn't have happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love but, I
0: love the scene between Saw and Jin. Oh, it's um, so good. And and again, like this is. This is something that I will I will continually give credit to the Disney era for is casting great acting and and giving good script writing because right the the ultimate complaint of the prequels is that it's bad acting. And you know that's debatable but overall I would I would agree like the acting's not great from a lot of the actors um and the dialogue is difficult to also perform probably even if you were a great actor <laughs> um but this this entire scene here is just sold by the facial expressions, the body language of, of, you know, um, Forrest Whitaker and, and, um, oh my Felicity God. Jones. Thank you. Felicity Jones. Um, I, I, one of, one of my favorite lines, like exchanges in all of Star Wars is when he says, you know, um, you were already one of the best soldiers in my, my quadrant, And well, I, you know, I was 16. I was protecting you. You dumped me. Yeah. You know, that, I just so many times now because I, I, I know that experience all too well of getting dumped, but, um, you know, obviously in, in romantic context, but still like just that, 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 that feeling of, of being just what Jen perceives as she's been just cut out by saw, right? Mm-hmm. She has been left behind. That has been her perception for the past 10 years. Um, and, and then he immediately unpacks for, her. here's why I did it though. like, Mm-hmm. people knew they were they were catching on i did that to protect you and she immediately changes her mind right like she is changed by that because she comes into this experience like kind of hating him um yeah. like how dare you you know just leave me like that and then he gives her the truth like i did this to keep you safe and i think to some degree she probably initially feels like a little ashamed like oh jeez he didn't deserve all of that that anger and and resentment i I've had for him all these years, but she just didn't know. And now she does. She knows mm-hmm. the truth.
1: Yeah. And then we finally get to the point in the, the discussion where, you know, he's questioning her about the cause and we learn that, you know, she is not, you know, the cause matters nothing to her. And he says, you know, you can stand to see the Imperial flag rain across the galaxy and it's not a problem if you line. don't look up. It's not a problem if you don't look up. And that hurts me so much every time. I hate, you know, that mentality just makes me so sad. And, and you can see him, you know, just sort of melt a little bit and in, in pity, um, before he, he tells her that he has something to show her. So. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the what do you think of the
0: shot of the Death Star upside down?
1: I love it. I think the um the unique shots that got of the Death Star in this film w- was really neat. Uh because it's always one of those things where it's like, well, you know, if you were on the planet, would the Death Star always look like it was right side up to you anyways, you know? <laughs> um and so I, I I thought it was cool and it also gives you the idea that this thing can rotate in order to, you know, aim that weapon wherever you want it to go. Um, so I I like it. It's new and different. What about you? Oh, I love it. I love it. Again,
0: I think the, the cinematography of this film is just phenomenal.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I absolutely love that shot and again like and i remember talking about this even back when the the first trailers were coming out you know we we both talked about the fact that this particular film really presents the empire as something something of a real threat yes you know like the original trilogy like we know they're the bad guys but there's nothing particularly threatening like yes vader's an imposing character you know you're not going to mess with him but it, you always know you're kind of safe, but this film really presents the empire, such a threat and the death star. Um, while I thought it was like fine in a new hope, like I think it was neat. It never was anything particularly threatening, but this film, like it isn't, it's, I mean, it's a creation of death.
1: Yeah. We'll see with, with a new hope is you already have the plans. You already, you know, know how, you know, essentially know how to stop it. You just have to get it to the people who can do it. Um, Whereas this movie is there's this thing that's about to be unveiled that is just a, you know, this thing of death that no one can stop. And there's a possibility that you can get a hold of plans to find the weakness. But, you know, that's a long shot at best. And so it's a race against the clock to see if this hope that you have is even real. Um while this thing just looms ever closer to completion, and looms ever closer to just being able to terrorize the galaxy. Yeah. This
0: this scene here. I mean, again, if if I weren't if we weren't watching this for the sake of a commentary right now, <laughs> where I have the volume really low, and and again, we're thinking about it more analytically and critically. Um, but this particular scene with Galen's um message to Jin not like 99.9% of the time if it doesn't just straight up make me cry it at least brings tears to my eyes <laughs> um because again like it in this this entire scene is carried by just a brief moment in that prologue right when she throws her arms around him and says you know and he says you know everything i do i do protect you um i love you papa Love you too, Stardust. Right, and he opens this message by addressing her as Stardust. Right, like just the beauty of that. Like he's reminding her of who she really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just like she just experienced immediately before this with Saw, she's understanding the truth of what's going on. Again, she's kind of carrying this resentment towards her father because again, she's still she's probably feeling abandoned and and cut out. And here she has the truth of why he did this. He did this for the purpose of sabotaging this weapon. Um, Mm -hmm. He did this for something specifically for her, but also for all the children of the galaxy. Um, Yeah. And I just, I love this moment. The fact that she is reminded of who she really is. She is Stardust. She is her father's beloved child. And uh, it's just, it's
1: so beautiful. Um, And her, Felicity Jones's reactions to that message carry the whole scene because she's a character who's, you know, very stoic, very, you know, aside from the outburst of anger about being dumped by Saw, she shows no emotion. And we finally see her crack here and we finally see the little girl that's still under the surface. Yeah. Yeah. So um it's it's such a well acted scene, and acting is often really well done when you know I, I love acting where it's you know the reactions um are caught uh in movies where you where you see reactions because to me as someone who's been on the stage, you're always acting, you always have to be engaged in the scene no matter what. Um, even if you're not the focus, because someone's going to notice you, otherwise it takes away from the scene. And so when I see people just reacting like that on, on screen, it always makes me happy from an actress perspective, but it's also just so well done here. So, yeah.
0: And just to give a, a quick shout back to, even though we just missed this, I mean, we, we kind of blew past the scene, but. Again, that beautiful shot of the death star eclipsing the sun on Jedi. yeah right I mean again, like it's something I really have always loved about um about star wars is kind of it's 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 simplistic not not simple but simplistic um imagery of you know good versus evil and well. There's nothing more ominous than an eclipse of the sun. And what's eclipsing it? Well, the Death Star, right? Right. Um, And again, to use just, again, simplistic symbolic language, the sun is a source of life, right? It brings life to planets. And Mm -hmm. here's what's cutting off its light. Here's what's cutting off its life-giving rays is this Death Star. And yeah. a ray is about to shine forth from the Death Star, but it's a ray of death, right? Yeah. And it obliterates all that is alive. Um, yeah. So again, just a reminder of, of how deadly the Empire is.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, there's all this destruction that we see going on down here on the surface. And all Krennic says from way up high from his perch is, oh, it's beautiful, you know it's like, oh, someone's got their priorities screwed around. Yeah, for real. So, but while Krennic is a villain that you, you love to hate and, you know, that, or love him as a villain, um, he's, you know, very squarely in the camp of the Empire here. You don't know? forget that. With, oh, yeah With yes. comments like that. Yes, indeed. So. Um, yeah. A- and...
0: Um real quick, we barely talked about him and now he's he's about to be dead, but Saw, what did you think of Saw in this film?
1: I like Saw. Um I like Forrest Whitaker a lot as an actor. Um and so when I heard he was going to be in this movie, I was very intrigued. Um, but Saw is a fascinating character because of of kind of who he's become. He's a man who was once, uh, you know, very well respected. You you get the idea he was, was once well respected. He once was in the know, essentially, with Mon Mothma and Bail Organa. And now he's just gone off the rails as someone who's, you know, constantly looking over his shoulder, constantly on the front line, dealing with, you know, the treachery and the betrayal and the backstabbing and the lack of resources that happen. You know, as you are there on the front lines fighting these things, you know, these, these skirmishes. I thought he was a very intriguing and fascinating character. And he was very well performed by Forrest Whitaker. Um, sometimes I wish we got more of him. Uh, but what 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 there was in this film was, was perfect. Yeah, agreed.
0: He's... He, Right, he he serves that purpose, which is what they created him for to be this good guy, but who's also very Darth Vader like in the sense yeah. that, right, like he even says to Jin, you know, did they send you here to kill
1: me? There's not mm-hmm. much of me left, right? Um, right, he's more machine than oh, man now than man, twisted and insane, uh.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, no, I th- I think um, they've done a great job with Saw. And and again, when again, George is the one who created that character uh, mm-hmm. for the Clone Wars. And he based him off of Che Guevara, um, who was, again, a, f- a fighter for freedom and, you know, a freedom fighter uh, f- fighting the forces of oppression, but got a little carried away. Right. Went a little right. overboard. um, And... Uh, Again, a lot of what Rogue One does is give us these a little bit more morally ambiguous characters, right? But at the end of the day, we know we know that they're good, but the, the circumstances of war, the circumstances of an oppressed galaxy, have warped them. Um, yeah, and. By the way, and I know we already just went past this scene, but my favorite scene with Krennic is the one where he's where he's yelling at Thrawn. Or Thrawn, excuse me, Tarkin. Tarkin. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, when, we stand here amongst my achievement, not yours. I love it. Because like, in a way, he's kind of talking to his boss. He's just telling right. his boss off.
1: <laughs> right, I love it. I mean, this has been his life's work. He's been working on this thing for almost two decades now. And it's finally done. It's finally operational. And he gets it taken from him within seconds of it being completed. Yeah. I mean, you feel bad for the guy, you You know, you really do. He's the primary villain, but you feel bad for him in scenes like that, you know, but it also elevates the, the type of, you know, villain that, Tarkin is and uh does nothing but help you know benefit Tarkin in A New Hope so um that's great too so yeah yeah
0: I, I I've always been of the opinion that my least favorite character my like my, to me the the most villainous character is Tarkin even more so than the emperor. Cause we know he just has a heart of darkness. Um, Vader as well, because Vader, we know his backstory, but Tarkin, even when we first meet him in the clone wars, like he's just a vicious, violent character. Yeah. Um,
1: and, uh, it's calculating the best way to benefit himself at all costs. Yeah. No one else matters. Right. Right. um, so
0: this scene here, the, the shuttle ride on their way to Edo. Um, and, right, like Cassian is told to, to, con- to con- continue forward with his orders, which are to essentially assassinate Galen. Mm-hmm. Um, but here you have Jin sharing them with, with them the truth, right? She has learned the truth through, via that hologram from her father that he sacrificed himself for the sake of the rebellion. And she's mm-hmm. trying to sell them on this. And, of course, the only one who believes her is cherit, you know I believe right. her <laughs> you know that's, that's good to know that's good to know um right, and i love I love even the way that Bodhi talks to her, like you know you're Galen's daughter, she's like you knew him, and we learn what kind of character is Galen is through what Bodhi says here right Bodie's yeah. bodhi's essentially. Turned on the Empire because of Galen Galen inspired him to be something more um and that's yeah. what he's that's what he's doing he's becoming something more um and you know he in a way he too sacrifices himself for the sake of something that he's never even been a part of
1: right right he <laughs> it it takes a you know a remarkable person like Galen Urso to convince um, you know, run-of-a-mill, you know, day job pilot to, you know, essentially commit treason for a cause. You know, uh, and and like I said before, you know, up until, you know, aside from the, the prologue, we, we hear about Galen. We don't really, you know get to know galen himself we learn a whole lot about him from other characters and and Bodhi is one of the best examples of knowing who galen is especially in at this point in time in his life because he's the last one to really have any genuine communication with galen right so yeah
0: and I mean, we're continually established here that Cassian is the type of character who just—he really needs to be convinced, um, right? Uh, he's still—he's still under the impression that Galen's an evil person because again, he doesn't really know Jen. He doesn't. He definitely doesn't know Bodhi, right? So he's not convinced that Galen is still anything more than a villain,
1: right? He's skeptical and that skepticism has probably kept him alive for you know a large portion of his life and so uh he's you know not prone to question that skepticism uh but then again you've got a character who's almost the complete opposite in Chirrut who you know almost seems to trust him implicitly um and and see how that you know, plays off each other, especially here, uh, where you know Cassian is getting ready to go out and complete his mission, uh, you know, without letting anyone else know what his mission really is. And Chirit is the only one who really seems to be able to sense what's going on, and he doesn't trust Cassian's motivations. So I I love those cuts back to Chirrut that entire scene as he's you know sensing and considering and listening to everything that's going on.
0: Yeah, and and again, like like we were talking about earlier, we've it's already been established that Chirrut is the wise man, right? He's the he's the one who's spiritually centered. So right, like you were saying with these cutback scenes, um, Chirrut is the one who's capable of seeing beneath. The service of a person and again yeah. J- Jin is a, still a kind of a rough and tumble type of character in all of in a way uh, Chirits encounters with her but he like he he implicitly trusts her and I don't think it's I, I don't know that I would uh, I'm not trying to say like I just dis- you're wrong Jason but mm-hmm. I don't know that he necessarily implicitly trusts anyone he, tr- he no. knows who to trust I think
1: I would say yeah um, no I, I agree that's a better way to put it yeah
0: and I know that I mean I know that's kind of what you were implying Um, he, he wouldn't particularly, he doesn't particularly trust Cassian here. Like, um, there's something wrong about this guy. And, but right. Like we're about to see in this next cutback, you know, like, where are you going? I'm going to follow Jin. Her path is clear, right? Like she, her only motivation here is to save her father. Like that's a pretty clear path. Cassian's motives are, they seem to at least be to, you know, uh, assassinate a character if nothing if nothing else, right? Like his yeah. his
1: his motivations are dark or muddied at best. <laughs> yeah, so he's got muddled motivations because he has his orders, but his conscience seems to be starting to be awoken. You know, from the interactions he's having with all these new cast of characters. Um, But he's resisting it. He's resisting his conscience. Um, Because his skepticism was what keeps him alive. Yeah. Um,
0: I love the shot, too, of Chirrut going after, following after her, too. First off, I love the way his staff glows right? Yeah. I, I've always been under the, do, do you actually, you probably actually know this because I think you have the visual dictionary, but I've been under the impression that he has a, a Kyber crystal in the, the head of his staff there. Is that yes. indeed true? It is true. Okay.
1: Yes, there is a Kyber crystal in the head of his staff. Um, it's, uh, it helps, you know, him. It, it's part of what helps him focus and, and sense what's around him when he uses the staff. Um, and I, I, th- think if i recall correctly from the visual guide it helps him you know essentially use it a little bit like echolocation you know slightly because he's so in tune with the kyber crystal um due to his meditations and stuff yeah so um i need to reread that part of the visual guide to really figure out how that works but i love that but yes there is a kyber crystal in the head of of his staff there oh that makes me happy (laughs) Um,
0: I also like though, even that exchange with, you know, with Baze, you know, good luck. I don't need luck. I have you. Right. And, and and to me that ties in perfectly with, right. The earlier scene when like, you know, the force did protect me. I protected you. Like in Chirrut's eyes, the force is working with Baze. The force is with Baze. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and Baze just doesn't see it. Right. It's, it's that, that, you know, that old, metaphorical story about you know a man is drowning and he's praying to god to to save him and you know a bunch of people like you know paddle different types of boats by and offer to pick him up but he says no the you know god will save me and the message of the story is yeah god did try to save you through these people but you were an idiot (laughs) right right and you were expecting some sort of crazy miraculous thing Um, Um, I love that about cheer it like for cheer it the force is working and it's working in very concrete real ways through through people Um, Mm -hmm. and not to be too theological here but I will say one thing I've really loved that Disney has done with the force is they've made the force very incarnational in the sense that it's very this world right it's not something totally divorced and it's not that that it was ever the case with the original trilogy I mean the prequel trilogy kind of which again was kind of the point right like that's why they lost their way um but i love what they've given us with the 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 mythology of the force is it's, it's just so incarnational it's so this world right and Cherit really
1: personifies that yeah Cherit is the personification of what the force means in rogue one yeah. um well you know who would love Cherit? who qui-gon jinn I know. Yes,
0: they would have the best conversations. Yeah, they would be be mindful of the living force, my young Padawan. Oh, but I am. I don't know what that right. accent was,
1: but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's, um, but yeah, no, I I get the feeling that you know, wouldn't it be cool to find out that you know, in you know, before the Phantom Menace, Qui Gon spent some time speaking and learning from the ga- guardians of the wills. Oh, I would love that. Now that's a movie I would go see. <laughs> um, Jason,
0: I have a question for you though. Uh, and this is something that's um, always kind of troubled me in the film. And, and again, it's one of the okay. few critiques I have of the film. So maybe you can help me make some sense of it. What, okay. what change, why does Cassian change his mind in that moment? Right? Like Cassian goes here with the the single intent of assassinating Galen and he doesn't. And it's and he, he chooses not to before he's smacked down by, by Krennic, right? Like if he's about to pull the trigger and Krennic slaps him, maybe he's like, wait, what's going on? But it's before even that happens. What What do you think causes Cassian's change of heart there?
1: Well, I think initially the initial order to kill Galen didn't sit well with him because it was given mm. totally off the record. You know, it, it wasn't part of the official briefing, wasn't part of the official mission. It was given to him off the record, which I don't think sits well with him on a, you know, principle standpoint. If he's going to be doing something dirty, let's, you know, at least make sure everyone knows I'm supposed to be doing this type of thing. Um, and while he's going to be, you know, trying to uh, achieve that mission, he has all this pushback start from Jin. After she's seen the message. You know. And people like Jin And then even Bodhi start talking about. The type of character Galen is. The type of person he is. And it's. You know. He pretends like it doesn't matter. Because all that matters is the mission. But. Cassian's a good person. And he. You know. He's finding something to believe in. Again. And he's starting to question the orders that he never really trusted in the first place, I think is, you know, what's going on here. Hmm. Yeah, that's a,
0: I really like that Jason. That's, that's well said. Um, cause to me, I was just like, oh, well, whatever, right? Like, it's just a quick story point And he's, it, it, to me, it just kind of implied that he already has like a, an, an underlying trust in Jen. Like he does kind of believe her, even though he's still upholding that ex, rough exterior but i love your point that you're right like even in that scene with general is it draven yeah general General draven when general draven's giving him the orders he does visibly look taken aback right like yeah wait a minute i don't know about this
1: yeah i mean he's done you know as he says later on they've all done things in the name of the rebellion that they would rather have not done and this is just another step down that slippery slope where this is you know you know assassination beforehand, you know, that this this isn't reactionary, this is proactive assassination. And, you know, it's almost is it even necessary, you know, um to what the, the greater mission is uh for the rebellion. And I think he's having doubts. Um and then especially since it, it, it didn't come from the whole council. It just came from General Draven, you know mon Mothma, um dodana belargana none of them signed off on this so right. right but draven is his superior and i think there's a reason why draven isn't seen <laughs> in um in command after this as i think you know he was probably demoted for ordering the hit on galen good point yeah um now, this is the
0: next moment in this film where I uh, typically cry. Um, yeah. But again, because of the context of right now, like I'm not fully. Yes, I'm watching the film, but it, it's for a different purpose. Um, You're not
1: fully engaged in the film. Exactly. The level as you normally would be.
0: Um, and, and again, the music, the music through much of this EDU stuff, especially with the arrival of the, the Alliance um, squadron. Right, like, I love the music that Giacchino gives to us there. Um, yeah, again, just kind of that, like that, that fast-paced earnestness that he he delivers. Um, but then it goes into this very, like you know, solemn and and sorrowful version of Jin's theme. Again, this is something so so typical of Star Wars music that Williams was a master of was mm-hmm. taking themes that we've heard maybe at this point you know fifteen twenty times. But just the way that he presents them, the way it's played, whether it's in the, the timing or the key signature. Again, I'm no m- musical theory person, but he's giving us Jin's theme again, but it's played in such a sorrowful way that to me it's just so beautiful. Um, yeah. And again, Cassian's just pure practical sensibilities here, right? Like, there's nothing you can do. He's gone. You know, right? We've got to go. Um and the music here just builds and builds and builds it's so beautiful um and and what i love is the way that they're all working together in this scene right this is the first yeah. this is the first moment where they're all working together um you know Cassian goes back to save Jin we're never really told why and again i i i, I I mean, I love this film, so I don't want to be, like, overly critical. That's one thing I, I kind of wish they'd explained a little bit better is just some of the stuff. Be, you know, why does casting go back, right? And he's like, no, 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 Jin's on that platform. Like, why do you care, <laughs> right? Like, um but to be fair, like, what's great about this scene is we see all of the characters working together. And, yeah. it, and it makes me just think of Return of the Jedi, right? The beginning of Return of the Jedi. Well, we've got our whole gang back, which means... We know that they're going to be successful getting out of Jabba's palace, and I, again, that's a that's a theme of Star Wars: is when we get our, our our characters working together, that's when they're successful, and that's what happens here, right? They're certainly still outnumbered, but you have Bays, you know, from long distance, just mowing down stormtroopers, Cassie getting the job done, and then boom! Last minute to save them all is Bodhi.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's really good seeing them all together working together like that. Um, it's the first time they've all really stuck their necks out for each other, um, and it's done out of necessity so that they all get off off the planet. Now, of course, uh, Cassian could have left Jin there, but she's the one who's the connection to Galen. She's the one who you know might have gotten more information being there on the platform, but she's also the one questioning the why of what he does. And I think he's, you know, especially after seeing the message and I think he's lost the why in all of this. And when she starts questioning that and starts pushing back on that, he starts finding out, you know, remembering who he was and why he started to do this in the first place. And that's why he goes back. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: This this is one of the most impressive. I don't know if you want to call it a monologue. It's almost not long enough to be a monologue. Mm-hmm. But this scene with Cassian, you know, just spitting truth at Jen, right? Like she's like, you know, what you did was wrong, and he's like, here's my truth, right? You're not the only one who's lost everything. I've lost everything. I've been in this fight since I was six years old, right? Like the way he delivers right. that line and And again, moving speeches in in any sort of film typically you know I would say eighty percent of what make them moving is the music that underscores it um right You take that music out and just listen to the words it's It's still cool, but it's not quite the same. This is Cassian giving a very powerful little speech with no music, and it's amazing yeah <laughs> um and, and again, all that credit goes to Diego Luna, his ability to just to perform that. And, um,
1: the, the whole tension in that scene is carried by all of the, the actors. And it's, you know, Bodhi is trying to not get involved. He's trying to pretend like he's doing something. Uh, Jin and Castian are at each other's throats. Um, cheer. It is there as the impassive observer trying to, you know, maintain some semblance of calm. And, bays is pretending to not care so (laughs) you know but the tension is carried by all of them and it's such a great scene and so that diego cassian is really able to really lean into that speech and deliver the performance that he did so agreed and then we get one of the coolest we have snoke here yeah
0: snoke's talking to to crippled vader
1: um (laughs) Right. Have you heard that theory that this guy is Snoke? I mean, no. I've heard about a bajillion theories and he's just a guy from Naboo who's, you know, probably spying for Palpatine. Um, Ooh, <laughs> is that true? Is he really from Naboo? Well, it, it is, uh, his name is uh, Vane. It's spelled, you know, the, the ending of his name is spelled the same way as Padme. So I'm assuming he's from Naboo.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Uh, is he in any of the, like the visual dictionaries? Yeah, he's he's in the the very briefly in the visual dictionary, the Rogue One visual guide. So Rogue One visual guide is amazing. If you don't have it, you should get it, folks. Um, But yeah, he's he's very briefly in there, um, and I'm assuming he's a spy for Palpatine as well as a caretaker. Sure. Um, What did you think of the fact though that Vader's castle was on Mustafar? I love it. I freaking love it because you know in the visual guide it's also said that. That is where Palpatine built Vader's castle. Palpatine put him there to remind him of his failure and to torture him.
0: I don't know. That doesn't sound like Palpatine. He's usually nicer than that.
1: Uh, Well, generally speaking, but he was in a fit of rage that day and just was like, screw it. We're building it there. People started building it. By the time he calmed down they already had the foundations laid and it would have cost more money to move it elsewhere. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I,
0: I, I mean, to me, it's, I, again, that's something in the film that people have critiqued is the, the visual look of Vader's castle. Um, I, pers- I for one love it. I think it looks great. Um, yes,
1: I, I certainly understand why for some people it doesn't quite work. Um, but- it is a little, uh, Lord of the Rings, two towers, but I love that design anyways. So I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, say, I will say I want to see it again.
0: It just makes me think of, I mean, it, it's very clearly inspired by, you know, Richard Marquand's um, concept art that he did for Empire Strikes Back when they we thought we were going to, right, when in those early, those early scripts we were going to see Vader's castle. Right. Um, and it was on like a Stark planet. And I, I just... I agree with you, Jason. I think it's so awesome that it's on Mustafar because it says so much about the relationship between Palpatine and Vader. Um, And again, a relationship that's beautifully fleshed out in Lords of the Sith. Great book if you haven't read it. Um, But yeah, I mean the fact that the Emperor would want him there to just constantly be reminded of his failure. Um, And in a way, that's what feeds Vader's power too, right? That anger Mm -hmm. and that hatred.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Ah yes, the introduction of one of my other favorite characters from this movie,
0: Admiral Radis. Oh, I thought you were—I thought you were going to say uh, General Dodona. Well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. The actor no. that looks literally nothing like him, but he's from Game of Thrones,
1: <laughs> right? The only thing that tells you that it's General Dodona is he's got the big beard. Yeah. <laughs> so, but no, I I love this scene. This whole scene is great. I, I like you know big council scenes like this um it it reminds me slightly of the um uh, the council on uh in rivendell in the first lord of the rings movie where they're deciding what to do with the ring um and i always like that scene too so but i love this scene this whole scene is great it it is really really
0: great and um what's if you think about what's kind of neat too is in the original trilogy, the only time we really have a rebel council, a sense of a rebel council is in return of the Jedi, right? right? When they're presenting the plans to attack the second death star. I mean, a new hope. We don't have a rebel council. We just have a general giving pilots orders, right? That's Mm -hmm. nothing, nothing more than a military maneuver. But here we have the sense that this is a, a council of, um, Leaders. And it just makes me think of the scene and A New Hope, though, with the Imperial High Command Council, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just to contrast these two types of councils, that council is a council made up of all white men. And, you know, it, it's not. It, it, to me, that's important. And again, like I've I've always I've, I've said this for a while now. I, I don't like that. We've been given female imperial characters, not because I don't like women, but because I liked the idea that the that the imperials were space Nazis. Right. And it was just about being white men. <laughs> you know, we never mm-hmm. saw any any sort of racial diversity in the empire or gender diversity. And I liked that because of how evil it made the empire. I didn't like it because I don't like <laughs> diversity. Um But i say all that to say I love this council because of its diversity. You know, it's made up of men and women and different races and different genders. That's the difference between the Alliance and the Empire. The Alliance is a group of people of all types of people that are working for a greater good. Whilst the Empire is a elite few. Right. And strictly humans who who think that they are the only ones deserving of power and prestige. Um, so, you know, if you watch that council scene compared to the council scene in, in A New Hope, I mean, just for the, the, the visual, visual sake of the types of characters in the council, it's it's wonderful to see what the alliance is. And again, we get mm-hmm. that sense in the Return of the Jedi Council, right? We have aliens and races and men and women who right. are uniting against this tyrannical empire.
1: Yeah. And one of the interesting things about this council is up until this point the rebellion hasn't officially really declared war yet. They are fighting, but they're also just kind of resisting in other ways too. Um, But it's not an all out war yet because there are still, there's still hope for diplomatic solutions to all of this. They're still trying to use the Senate and all that stuff. Um, But the Death Star kind of changes all of that. Yep. Yep. And... I mean, in a way,
0: this this film is just a series of of great speeches. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, Jin gives that very rousing speech uh, to the council about, you know, it's not about it's not about um, uh, chances. It's about choices. Right. Um, Right. Morality isn't summed up by, like, do you stand a chance? Morality is what's doing what's right or wrong. And she's presenting that reality. And who does that who does that hit? It hits Cassian. Cassian hears her truth. Yeah. Um, and again, that 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 sense of deeper truth of of true duty sometimes supersedes the rules and regulations of a governing body, right? The deeper truth here is that there's something bigger at stake. This is a life or death scenario and we have to strike while we can. And Cassian hears that and he says, you know, he collects the group of people who are in his boat who are saying, wow, we've all done some, pretty messed up stuff um we better follow through with this or else we're gonna have done all that in vain
1: yeah we'll regret it for the rest of our lives um and this is also the moment where they all find home again yes i was just gonna say that (laughs) so and there's some great music to go along with that so uh, i love (laughs) love 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 the rogue one theme yes
0: Um, it's, you know, to me, like, and and again, I'm not trying to sound like a jerk about John Williams because of course I love him, but to me, the rogue one theme is like, I'd put it analogous to sort of like the March of the resistance, right? Like they're the, they're the two new
1: militaristic good guy themes. Right. Um, Well, they're very similar too and, and I mentioned that, you know, when we were talking about some of our favorite pieces of music and I I had both of those in whatever discussion we were is, I think it was favorite pieces from the, the new stuff. Yep. But um, those are two of my favorite pieces. Period in the new stuff, and and they're very very similar, which is great. So yeah,
0: I think um, I mean I prefer Rogue One. I prefer the Rogue One piece to the um, March of the Resistance, and and that's not to say I don't like March of the Resistance because I love it. But that just goes to say how much I love the Rogue One theme. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just really want to quick. I quickly want to back up to just uh, further like. Um, stand behind you in the statement of this is the moment where they all find home. And again, specifically gin. Um, yeah. Right. Jin's story arc is that of, like I said, kind of at the top of the film, right in that prologue, she's someone who has her home ripped away from her. So she's looking for, she's looking for home now. And, um, right. Like at first she found that in saw, but saw leaves her too. Mm-hmm. So she's trying to find a home when she hears the message from her father to her, it's like, great, I can, I can recapture that innocence in a way of my youth. But that's impossible. We can never recapture the innocence of our youth, sad as that may be. Right. And right when her father dies in her arms, it's like, well, crap, what am I living for now? But then she immediately remembers, right? She finds a home in the Alliance. And, and I love, love that it's Cassian who says, welcome home. I love it because, again, of the tension between those two characters throughout the film up to this point. And he's the one to welcome her home. I love it. I absolutely love it. Like in that moment, I just uh, it's. It's so beautiful, and to me, it just connects so beautifully like the way that that scene is kind of shot too um oh my god, the filmography I, I don't know who does the filmography because I don't know that behind the scenes information like I used to, <laughs> but whoever does the filmography of this this movie is phenomenal because the way that particular scene is shot, the way the camera kind of circles around the two of them as they circle each other, I think is also visually mirrored like a little bit later in the film when they get onto that elevator. With the, you know, after sending the message and the way the camera angles around the two of them, there's something beautiful about these characters, not specifically romantic, yet beautiful. Yeah. God, I love that. Uh, my, my two favorite, my two biggest relationship crushes are Cassian and Jin and then Raylo. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: oh, and would, would, would that be Jassian? Jassian. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, boy. I've, just, I've accidentally started something else now. Oh, I like Jassian.
0: <laughs> um, but how about this little scene of faith there with Jen, you know, squeezing her kyber crystal? I mean, as somebody who's, you know, been, you know, grew up and is, you know, identified as, as, a, as a Catholic person, right? The the Catholic religion is so much about devotionals and about um, ritualistic uh expressions of faith and right like if, if if you know anything about the Catholic Church you probably know that people have rosaries right and mm-hmm. you know my grandparents would carry rosaries in their pockets because they just thought it would to use kind of flippant language, but bring them good fortune. (laughs) You know, I mean, in their minds, they thought it would make them more grace-filled and blessed, blessed in their days by carrying a rosary, you know, and you know, my grandfather would tell me stories of, you know, being in a difficult job interview and reaching into his pocket and just squeezing his, squeezing his rosary. I mean, as somebody who, who that visual language is very real for, I love that little moment of her squeezing her kyber crystal because it's, it's just this moment of her expressing her faith Mm -hmm. without it being explicitly religious right right Um, and and there are still people who are you know like um you know jewish people who still might wear like a star of david necklace even though they're not particularly religious there's just something Mm -hmm. you
1: know well and and it's not something you know exclusive to religion either it's like you know people who believe in luck you know with their lucky rabbit's foot or you know han solo with his dice i'm assuming um you know where we're going to see, you know, his lucky dice, you know, that sort of thing. You know, people hold on to charms, you know, things for good luck, for good fortune. You know, whether they believe in all that stuff or not, we do that as people. We get superstitious a little bit, you know, and whether or not you ascribe a religious or luck, you know, to it doesn't really matter. It, it helps us out, and that's the important part. Exactly. Exactly. So. Hey, Jason. Yes, Carl. We're getting another speech. <laughs> yep, we are. And uh, it's, you know, it's not entirely, you know, pump up. Hey, we're going to win. We're going to do all this fun stuff. And that's like, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to level with you. This is going to be tough. We're probably not all coming back um, because we're going to do the first part of the job and the next. And we're going to keep moving until, you know, we either complete the mission or we run out of chances. That's what we're going to do. And, you know... It's not, and it's not something that is overly uh, inspiring, but it's not something that's you know f- you know full of fluff and that's really not going to help these people with what they're about to do. It this is the inspiration has already happened. This is the 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 motivation to keep moving forward. Right.
0: Yeah, in a way, it's an infra inspirational battle tactic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like this fight is going to be completely uphill, but we're just going to keep moving forward and doing our best to succeed. Yeah. And then um what I love to kind of differentiate between Jin and Cassian is Jin knows through her experience with Saul like the struggles of fighting the empire, right? Like how uphill that battle always is. But then you have Cassian the tactician coming in, you know, base mm-hmm. Jir- You know, take the main squad, right? He's giving them the. He's giving them the practical battle plan, plan, right, which which I like, because, again, like that makes sense for Cassian's character. Oh, real quick here. I've not mentioned this since the last time we really see it, but I love Krennic's space Prius. So um, (laughs) (laughs) I know I've made that comment like a long time ago when the movie first came out but there's something about his shuttle that just makes me think it's environmentally friendly so i call it the space prius um <laughs> that's funny and it makes sense cuz he works for like the science department <laughs> so, in true the true
1: it's probably in- incredibly efficient
0: right um but but anyway back to cassian yeah i i love you know that he's the one who's kind of giving the 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 practical commands
1: here oh man i just realized that's the last time this is the last time jin ever has any interaction with chirin bays yeah and I'll, I want to say something about
0: that in a second, but just let me finish this point really quick. And okay, sorry. No, no, you're fine. I love how, again, Cassian gives the orders, but then he ends with, you know, once we give the order, light the place up, right? And like, I just, I love that he kind of, he even has like a, a fun little pump up line. Yeah. Light it up. Yeah.
1: Light Which, it up. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> well, um, just,
0: I always just think of from the Dark Knight Rises, light it up. You know, when, ba- <laughs> when Batman saves the commissioner Gordon towards the end of the film and then, you know, takes the time to lay out in gasoline, the bat signal on that big bridge.
1: <laughs> I got to say real quick that officer that's standing on the platform, controlling the door panels and everything uh-huh. really must hate his job because he's not paying attention at all. Um, A, an Imperial officer the technician and two stormtroopers went into that ship an imperial officer a technician and an imperial droid walked out right he doesn't not very master of the obvious huh no he's not paying attention he must be incredibly bored and just hate his job so (laughs) he'd rather be in the command center um Uh, yeah for real um
0: by the way, real but quick, way. when when Krennic's ship is landing in that last shot though, you do see, which I love, in the kind of lower left hand corner, you see um uh, an imperial shuttle taking off again, like like shuttle Tarderium. Like mm-hmm. we get to see one of those traditional rebel or excuse me, rebel, imperial transports. Yes. Um
1: Yeah. 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 You were gonna mention something about uh oh, less yes. interaction. Between Thank you, Jin. Chirrut and Baze. I was cuz I want to get your impression
0: as well. Um I love how um the interactions oftentimes with um Jin and Chirrut is Chirrut just grabbing her hand or touching her, right? Mm-hmm. They never really say anything to each other after Jetta. Um but there's again something unspoken between them. Yeah. And and again, like this is probably obvious as as day and night and I don't know that I've ever said it before, and maybe I'm a little late to the game. But also, how cool is it that Chirrut is blind? His character is blind, but yet he's the one who sees most clearly.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, I guess we've kind of talked about that in general terms for a long time, so we didn't didn't really br- bring it up much here <laughs> in this commentary. But yeah, he's blind, but he's the one who sees clearest. Um, which is you know very much uh appropriate in ancient storytelling. I mean you, you know for example you, you can go back to ancient Greece and you've got um Tiresias the blind prophet, you know, he's a seer and he's you know while he still kind of speaks in riddles sometimes he's the one who sees most clearly um when all the you know bad stuff is about to go down. And and you know Chirit to us in a sense is similar to that, except he's not you know prophesizing doom. Um <laughs> but i love how so many of his interactions are nonverbal like the way he you know interacts with chirit the way he or uh, Bay, excuse me the way he's you know interacts with jin words aren't necessarily used a lot which is kind of funny because he is blind um but you know the last thing that that passes between jin and chirit is she reaches out and touches his arm you know, and he smiles at her, and then Baze comes in and tells you know, good luck, little sister. You know, yeah. it, it's a it's a very nice little moment. Yeah, light it up.
0: <laughs> I'd love it if the bat signal just showed up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, this is again. Like, uh, here's <sighs> this moment is so. Uh, you know kind are of we funny to me blind <laughs> are we blind deploy the garrison it, you know everyone's just sort of like oh what's going on they're obviously you know they're guarding a data installation right nobody comes here so they have no idea how to react when something really happens <laughs> yeah and it makes total sense
0: right like yeah you think historically to like the events at pearl harbor right when a lot of these you know u.s soldiers saw like this japanese air force flying towards them they were just thinking to themselves what the hell is going on and then all of a sudden they start dropping bombs they're like holy shit what's what's happening right <laughs> you know um and uh yeah i mean that's a purpose perfect point here is like the imperials don't really know what to do because like you said they're just they're just protecting us, you know, floppy drives. <laughs> right? <laughs> they don't think there's anything to worry about. Right. Um and uh, but that moment is so comical with Krennic because it, it it reminds it makes me think of him as kind of like that muscle muscle mustache twirling villain. Like it's yes. just like a silly moment. So much of this film we've been shown the empire is kind of this, you know, scary, dangerous force but then you have some of these little moments with Krennic that are kind of comical without
1: being like stupid silly either. And that moment too where it's like you got the Imperial Librarian there and he just gets knocked on the head Right,
0: right Yeah, (laughs) Poor Jocasta knew the the Imperial
1: version Right People who watched the last season of Doctor Who will know who I'm talking about He reminds me of Nardle Oh yeah, uh, good old Nardle yes but anyway Jason that, I obviously have no idea who you're talking about I know you don't okay. so um, <laughs> but people who have watched Doctor Who know who I'm talking about anyway but we get you know one of my favorite battle sequences in Star Wars and definitely my favorite sequence in Rogue One is this final act I love this final act so much so
0: oh it's so good
1: it's it's so good
0: um Was I going to say? Yeah, we're talking about
1: Krennic, I think.
0: Yeah, but no, but even like this, this initial gun, the initial like blaster battle there. Though, again, this was one of those scenes in the movie that made me just want to run home and like grab my like plastic blaster and just run around my apartment. And I did. (laughs) (laughs) I I bought the Nerf version of Cassian's blaster.
1: I'm not going to lie, I've come this close to buying the Nerf version of either Cassian or. Pose blaster so many times. I don't really like Pose. It's too boxy.
0: Even cast scenes is a little boxy, but I just I think it looks better. Pose blaster I think is really stupid looking, to be completely honest. <laughs> I don't love I it. I kinda like it. I okay. kinda like it. It's too boxy it's for me. Um but then again I hold everything up to the DL44. So <laughs> um so, I, I love this little I, moment here with Bodie because again it yeah. shows like his tactical genius right like
1: he knows well what, i mean part of it is he just knows how how these the the imperial protocol works yeah and so he's able to take advantage of it yeah he's so
0: he's so integral to this plot yeah um and yeah right like he knows like you said he knows he knows their procedures but um i love that he just even has a tactical awareness about him and uh, It's just, it's straight up trickery. And so, you know, for much of my middle school and high school years, I was a huge Civil War buff. And I read like everything in the library I could on the Civil War. And I specifically enjoyed the military history part. Um, Mm -hmm. And like, just, I'll always remember like the Battle of Chancellorsville in 1862, I believe it was. No, early 1863. Um, How Robert E. Lee's only had like half his forces, yet he smartly... Um, divided his main force and used this like super elaborate diversionary tactic to make the enemy think there were five times more men than he had. And that's how he essentially won the battle was by tricking them. And, yeah. um, you know, like we see that tactic here in Rogue One where they're just tricking the, the Imperials of thinking that there's way more troopers than there are.
1: Right, right. P.S., it's, there's some
0: Civil War history for you. <laughs> there you go.
1: There you go. Um, well we are getting ready to just really kick off the Galactic Civil War. That's right. So uh, and I, I love these officers, right? Like they're like,
0: holy crap, what is going on? <laughs> Get Admiral Gorda immediately.
1: And I always like to imagine Admiral Gorda's been like sitting in his robe just enjoying a cup of tea somewhere. Yes, um, he's
0: just wearing his silk bathrobe and slippers. His, right, exactly. His Wampa his Wampa
1: his Wampa slippers. Exactly. <laughs> it's gotta be Wampa slippers. Um <laughs> And then you got essentially Winston Churchill as a Mon Calamari, uh, leading the battle here. Uh, um, gotta, in Admiral Raddis. gotta love Admiral Radis. I love him. I, I pref-
0: as much Terrific. as I've always loved Akbar, I prefer Admiral Raddis just because. Wow. Well, Return of the Jedi, right? Things start getting a little hot, like you know, full re- all trap tra- troops prepare to retreat. Like we'll never get another chance of this, Admiral. We have no choice in the collision. Our cruisers can firepower that magnitude. She Han have that shield down. We gotta give him more time.
1: <laughs> um. Anyway. <laughs> um. It, it just makes me think that you know, Mon Calamari are predisposed to be uh, fleet admirals, right? They're they're yeah. They they grew up to become that. Um, right.
0: Whereas Radis is like you know, continue to show to probe that shield and let's take a chance at those star destroyers. Like like right. he's all about like just let's throw
1: it at him. <laughs> let's just throw everything we got and see what sticks. Um, for real, for real. Um, and of course, he's voiced by uh, Stephen Stanton.
0: Yeah, which he does a great job. Stephen yes. Stanton also does you know al Guinness Obi Wan for Twin Sons and Rebels. Oh. That was
1: almost perfect. Yeah.
0: Steven Stanton is so talented. He is. So.
1: Um, But but here we we have, like, they're all starting to have to rely on each other. Exactly. Everyone has to, you know, come through on their part of this mission. Otherwise, it's all going to fail. Yeah. And the fact that they, you know, reach out and just put that trust in each other, you know is great. They're like, okay, I'm, I'm counting on you to pull this off. And, you know, while there's also the aspect that you don't have a choice but to trust the fact that they are so willing and easily a- able to trust um, that everyone will pull off what they need to do is great. Oh yeah. Completely agree. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also but, love this moment here too, where they're like, yeah. yes, we're going to do this. And then, yes, it worked. No, it didn't. Nope, not so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, didn't quite work out for them. No. Thankfully, the air support came in. And this is great. The
0: music there, the way that the, oh. the, the, the fanfare swells. And um, oh, my gosh, why am I blank? What's the name of the general who's in charge of Blue Squadron? Uh, Merrick, thank you, General Merrick. Just you know, with that beautiful mustache, just smiles and chuckles.
1: <laughs> I, I will, I will say that I, I only really remember some of these lesser generals' names uh, because I watched this like two weeks ago with Kyle when I was up in Phoenix. Kyle Baca when I was up in Phoenix training for a new job, and we were trying to remember all their names, and we looked them up while we were watching the movie. So, I've I've seen this movie now twice in two weeks, and it's. I should watch it again next week. Um, <laughs> I like this movie. Yes. I, I the idea, I don't know. I I love the um the almost fishbowl look of this bridge and the fact that it's kind of hanging off the bottom of the ship is kind of unique too. I don't know. I like I like Raddus's ship here. It's a really neat design. Oh, and then of course so the um the Resistance cruiser in the Last Jedi is called the Raddus. Yeah, which is awesome. Yes. Um
0: what was I going to say? Oops. I don't
1: know. Um I was talking about the design of the ship.
0: Yeah, no, I I love it cuz it just feels so in line with like a Mon Calamari cruiser from Return of the Jedi. And all the Cal- the Mon Calamari cruisers in Return of the Jedi look a little bit different, which I love. Like home one home one to me is my favorite just cause it looks the coolest to me. But then you have, I think it's called like Liberty is the name of one it has like little wings, what looks to be like wings off of it. Yeah. And again, like I like that because it shows even, even in their fleet design, the Alliance is diverse um, in the sense that like, right not everything of theirs is like f- factory created to look the same, right? Every star destroyer looks the same. Um But all these Alliance capital ships
1: have something uniquely different about them. right? And, of course, the, you know, logistical part of that is that, you know, it's cobbled together. And they don't, you know, it's, you know, a bit of this and a bit of that. Logistically, that's the reason. But the look of it is also really cool. So um, I appreciate that. And I think Radis's ship is called the Resolute. I'm not sure. I'm I think you're right. That. Yeah,
0: I I'm not 100 percent either, but I'm pretty sure you're right with the resolute. Um, uh, I'm looking it up right I, now. I, I love this. Uh, I love this particular X-wing pilot because he's the one we get the most direct like dogfighting experience with. But the way he just blasts through the, um, those aren't called shield generators. What are the names of? This is sad. I can't believe I don't remember. On the tops of the Star Destroyers, the big circle things that obviously oh. are like, responsible for the shielding. What are those things called? They're not shield generators, are they? Yeah. Is yeah. It, I mean, that's essentially what they are. Yeah, they're shield generators. Okay. But I love the way he just blasts that one and flies through it. It's just, oh, just it's so, it looks so good. Yeah. Um. By the way, too, when all the TIE fighters come flying out there, um, would, again, like, I'd love the score choice there by Giacchino. Again, he's playing his new Imperial theme. And it's just yeah. like, oh, crap, here comes all the fighters. But right. if, if you think about it, like, yes, this is a much smaller Rebel fleet, but they're, those pilots are probably a, a lot more skilled, right? Because like you said, you know, I think one of the things that's very important to be established in this, the, the OT era is that these troopers are not as efficient in the, as the clone troopers in, in that era of Star Wars because they don't need to be right they're not right. fighting a war um they're there to just essentially bully people and even these these fighter pilots like they're just they're these are guys who are just probably run maneuvers around a planet that's always been safe their entire duty time and then like oh crap here we've got to engage these pretty gifted pilots we're really not up to snuff
1: yeah by the way i love the fact they found the old archive footage of road red leader and gold leader and, and stuck them in here. Uh, that was a, that was a surprise that caught me off guard. And I almost like, I, I think I cheered out loud when I first saw this movie. Um, <laughs> when that happened, what, what, what did you think about that? I, I honestly just, i didn't care <laughs> you didn't care about
0: red leader and gold leader showing up i i i i didn't like dislike it or anything but i was just like oh that's neat like i just okay i mean i know like my friend greg was super excited like he like verbally shouted yippee or something at the first screening. <laughs> I, totally wizard yeah total that's totally wizard um okay again like, i was I totally
1: it, wrong on the name of, of radish's ship it's oh, not the it's resolute, not the resolute the profundity um, oh okay the profundity that's a great name too though such a such a great word. The profundity. Kind of like the per, per, per supremacy. Supre- yes, the supremacy. The profundity. All aboard the profundity. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yes. All right. Oh, and I've said it before, but I'm not a guy for armor, you know, for stormtrooper armor. It's not my thing, but I love the shore troopers. I absolutely love the look of the short troopers. So they look great. Yes. But here we are. This is where the heroes start going down one by one. Yeah. And the music
0: changes too, right? Like the, the musical language of the film starts to take a more tragic turn here. Um, Yeah. And again, obviously I can't say enough about Giacchino because I freaking love this man as a composer. Um, But (laughs) the battle of Scarif up to this point has been kind of like your typical star Wars action music. It's been borderline fun on occasion, right? Like it's been adventurous. It's been mm-hmm. whimsical, but now everything kind of drops into this like minor cut, minor t- tone, right? Like these, these minor chords and things are now starting to get really serious and very dangerous. Very like, um, uh, tragic, thank you. <laughs> 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 exactly. Yeah. Um. And the first one to go down is a droid, right? Like it's it's not even a living person, but yet we care. Like we're we're upset, we're saddened by this because he's been yeah. he's he's been a comical character. We've enjoyed him. He's been essential. He, I mean, he's essential here, right? He's the one who helps them find the the plans to the Death Star.
1: Also because real, because he's an imperial droid he's able to get into the system without anyone knowing right yeah he and he and Bodhi are, are again so integral to this
0: particular the success of this mission
1: yeah um of course Bodhi's the next one to go right
0: <laughs> um but i love that right like we get that last jedi um nod here with um hyperspace tracking mhm um now, what's funny is like I'd never even when I saw Last Jedi, I just I didn't think twice about how it connected to Rogue One because when when she says hyperspace tracking, I just assumed that's how um, Vader's ship finds them at the beginning of A New Hope because they have this thing called hyperspace tracking. That's how that's how I figured it played in. But then yeah. obviously they don't bring it back until Last Jedi. um, So it's neat that they did that to connect it to Last Jedi. Yeah. But my immediate thought was like, oh, cool, that explains the beginning of a new hope. Um, it's right, hyperspace yeah. tracking. Yeah. So, um, uh, 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 this Wait, is.
1: I, I'm starting to get lost in the, the action. No, <laughs> I know, and stuff. I know and me get, too.
0: I'm like, I don't know what to say because it's just like, I just want to watch. <laughs> right, right. Um, But oh yeah, this is. Here comes like the bigger part. Here comes the the master switch theme from the track, right? The you know, as David Collins expertly told us in the last episode of Star Wars Oxygen, which is sadly no more. um, But right, like uh, the the march, the master switch piece here is is all that uh, dearest Ira piece, right? Mm -hmm. The 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 mass of judgment um yeah the impending doom the impending death troopers here what i've always loved about this particular shot like the way the death troopers land and specifically like um uh uh, oh my gosh why am i blanking on his name because i love this character um it's (laughs) oh geez the the other rebel guy yeah the guy who's got a shaved head ultimately bald um
1: Oh, my God. What is his name? It's driving me oh. nuts. Of course, I just tossed my book out of reach, so I can't look it up Melchic. again. Melshi Yeah. Yeah. Melshi Um And
0: the way he kind of gets shot in the back there, like in the way that, the again, like that music is swelling. I'm just like, oh, my God. These guys are giving it everything they've got. They had the jump, and yet they're still losing. Like it yeah. just shows you like, oh, my
1: God. God, they're so outmatched. Yeah, they're giving it everything they've got, and it's still like not enough. Yeah, you know, it still might not be enough. Yeah, so uh, love this, love this. Uh,
0: uh, you know the the hope the hope theme that Giacchino composes right the way it's just interspersed here in the midst of death when they actually yeah. get the plans, but then it swells right back out. Uh, mm. Obviously, th- this is my favorite particular scene in the film because I love. Hanging from my banister at my apartment and pretending to be Cassian there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, this is my, this is my scene. This is my boy, and uh, this, this is his moment to shine. And it, simultaneously awesome and sad and scary and amazing all at the same time. Yeah. Oh.
0: By the way, I just I love that Cassian who's. Again, tactically, it's easier to shoot down at somebody than shoot up at somebody. Cassian's hanging with one arm and still takes out two elite Death Troopers with like two yeah. shots. He's such a badass.
1: The, the nice thing about uh, Krennic being there and being the one who who ends up taking the shot that knocks Cassian down, as we'll see in a minute, is that you know Krennic isn't just you know sort of the brains and the the mad mustache twirling guy you know in all of this. He's willing to get his hands dirty and isn't too bad at it either. So. Yeah. Right. Like it establishes that Krennic
0: is good with his gun too. Yeah. By the way, the again, the way the music ducks out there for a second as Cassian crashes down, like when he lands on his back first, like still, that's also oftentimes will give me like, it'll just bring tears to my eyes. Like how brutally these guys are being dealt with without it being over the top. Brutal, right? Like it's not like an R rated brutality. Right. right. Which again would all, in my opinion, forever be out of place in Star Wars. Quick yeah. little side note because I know there are a lot of people that want it, but I never want an R-rated Star Wars movie. It's not, it no. doesn't belong. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a brutality here without it being over the top. And, right, the brutality to what happens to Cassian and now just how, how brutal it looks with uh, Cherit here, the way he just passes in, um, bays arms but right before he goes he gives that gentle beatific smile if you will mm-hmm. um, because
1: bays has recaptured his faith yeah i one thing i will say that i just thought about this now um is it's probably you know beneficial that Cherit is blind because if he could see who knows if he would have even had the faith to pull off what he did, to turn on the master switch? That's a that's a really cool point, Jason. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where you know, not being able to see was probably more beneficial for him in that in that moment because he didn't know what it was he was going up against, is that exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. So now I'm, I'm getting lost in the battle again. <laughs> uh, I, well, I love
0: the tactical genius of Radis, right? Like mm-hmm. this is—it's a very expositional line, but so necessary. Like that star destroyer is disabled. Like he takes notice of it. He's about, and finally, Bodhi gets through, and Radis is told, "Like you've got to bring that shield gate down because we've got the plans." Radis immediately knows
1: what to do because
0: that starter destroyer is disabled.
1: <laughs> you know? Right. Um, he, there's a reason why he's the admiral.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He like again just Im- immediately knows what to do, and um, I always thought that line Bodhi says, like, you know, this one's for you, Galen, was kind of corny and a little bit cheesy, out of place. But if you really think about it, it makes perfect sense for his character because mm-hmm. why is he doing all this? What set him in motion to going here? Galen we learned earlier it's galen right um yeah. you know he told me if, if 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 i wanted to i could do something more i could be something more and that's this one's for you galen um, yeah he's fulfilling what galen started
1: yeah and that's that's so good and so special to have that happen and then of course i've said it before uh you know the grenade goes into the hold there and any other, you know, action movie, the hero would just toss it out. But, you know, not not in Star Wars, not this time. Right. Um, and Bodhi goes out and then Baze goes out, uh, you know, affirming his rediscovered faith. Um, you know, showing that Stewart was right to believe in him in that way. Um, uh, and now we're just down to you know, assuming, you know, we assume, we assume it's just, just gin. down gin. Yeah. We're just down to gin. Yeah. You know,
0: this is this is a scene that a lot of fans have, have talked a lot about how much they love the scene with it's the cool. with the uh, hammerhead Corvette. Yeah. And yeah, it is really cool. It's so, so, so cool. Um, And again, it just it has me visually thinking again of a comparison between this film and A New Hope. So here you have Again, when they zoom out and you see it, and the Hammerhead Corvette is significantly smaller than a Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. It's a little tugboat, but it's pushing this massive ship. It's, right. it's in control. And what's funny, right? Like when A New Hope opens, we have a, a, a very small rebel ship being pursued by the big, mighty, powerful Empire. But here we, we are told in, the, in this, the Battle of Scarif, the story of Rogue One shows us that this little um, focused force... Can overthrow the power of the empire, right? And I, I like that again, just visually. The hammerhead Corvette represents for us, like even though it's a smaller force, if it know if it knows what it has to do, mm-hmm. it can get it
1: done. Right, right. That's such a, a good way to look at it too, because again, that that's, it's kind of what this whole rebellion is doing here. It's it's, it's da- just David versus Goliath, right? It is. It's David versus Goliath. It's they're just nudging open the door here so that our, our main heroes, our main saga heroes can step in and take it from there. And that's kind of the whole purpose of this movie. So they're just pushing the door open. Yeah. To set the, the, to set the stage for the saga films. Right. And the OT.
0: And did you say that on purpose, Jason, because they literally do open the shield gate, right? They Uh open the gate here. I kind of, yeah, a (laughs) little bit. So, and that, that great swell of the hope theme again, right? As that happens. Um, um, I've, I've always disliked this shot. I just felt it was unnecessary. Like, oh, yep. Jin's hanging from a, you know, precipice again. Yippee. <laughs> I just felt like it was like filler time. But I do love that little shot of Krennic loading his gun. Because again, and we learned this through the Battlefront game. But like his gun is not your traditional Star Wars gun.
1: No, thing is really it's a three cool. shot. Yeah, it's cool. He has to keep reloading. Oh, it's so cool. Which also means he has to be accurate with it. Yeah. And he clearly is. Yep.
0: Um, oh, love it. Who are you? She f- it makes that claim of identity. Yep. I'm, I'm Luke Skywalker. Uh, you know, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Jedi. <laughs> nope. I'm Jen Erso, daughter of Galen and Lyra, right? Like claiming her history, claiming her parentage, claiming her mm. roots and claiming her own personal identity. Yeah, And she, unlike her parents who said, like, you know, you'll never win. She says, you've lost. Right. Right. It's a different story now. Mm-hmm. They, the, her parents knew he wouldn't inevitably win because they believed in the forces of good. But Jin here knows you've lost. Yeah. And then here we go. Surprise. Cassian's <laughs> oh. still alive. Oh, yeah. And we, I love, again, we we did see that little gun in the back of his pants.
1: It's his holdout. It's his little holdout blaster. Um, That's the one that he shot his informant with at the very beginning. Yeah. And right here, just uh, the music, right?
0: This is Giacchino just being Giacchino. Again, up to this point. His music has been very steeped in the, you know, the essence and feel of John Williams, but this is purely Giacchino. Yeah. And again, I, I, as much as I mean, this is one of my favorite pieces in all of Star Wars. I still don't think it would really quite fit in one of the saga films because it's a very different type of Star Wars music. But mm-hmm. it is so perfect for this moment, and I, I could talk. Well, I, I could, I would say I could talk about this music forever. I don't know that I could talk about it forever, but I will feel it forever. and to me that's far more important
1: yeah and that's what the uh, music is supposed to do you're supposed to feel it it's supposed to help convey the emotion of the story and you know take us along the journey and I I like what we've said of how different it is it is very different in what it does and and how it does it but yet at the same time to my ear the melody of it all still sounds very Star Wars yeah so well, the melody sounds Star Wars, but what it's doing and where it's doing it is very unique, and that's pure Giacchino, as you said. Yeah. Well, and I think what
0: makes it so beautiful is what Giacchino is able to do is he he gives us a beautiful piece of music, but it's it's so sorrowful too. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, his what his music captures so beautifully from the moment they send that message up until they're essentially obliterated is that this act is beautiful. Like in the midst of this horror, this devastation, this brutal battle, there was something beautiful that happened here, right? You had these characters give everything for the future. They'll never see. And that is something beautiful. That is something again, the choir starts here too. Like this, there is something angelic. There is something heavenly about what these characters do.
1: Yeah, it is that, this is an, an, a selfless act of sacrifice. Um, and one that, you know, they will never see, you know, the, the results of it. And it's sad in a sense, but what they do lays the groundwork for everything moving forward for the rebellion. It gives the rebellion the chance to be able to fight back. And without Jin. Cassian, Cherit, Baze, Bodhi, and K-2SO. You know, in all likelihood, rebellion would have died at Yavin. Yep. Ugh. Yeah. Here we go. The artificial sunset. Right. Yeah. <laughs> even the even sunset it- of death.
0: <laughs> I know. Even in the even in the midst of what we're doing here, I'm all teared up over here. I don't care. I can't help it. Because <laughs> um, again, this the music again just elevates everything here. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, we we I mean we we skip this little awesome visual moment. Um, right, they're they're retreating, and boom, here comes the devastator and just obliterates that rebel transport. Oh my gosh, yeah, and just obliterates. The Profundity, right? That's the name of it? Yep, The Profundity. I mean, yeah, it, it, and I like that we see that because even Tarkin says, like, Lord Vader will handle the fleet. Like, mm-hmm. he's got one ship and the dude just wreaks havoc. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and it, it's... There's that, it, ugh, love that scene. That is hope exploding into the stars. And now again the music changes here, right? The that beautiful moment has been fulfilled and now we go right into this like again very earnest music. Like yeah. it's it's matching the, the the emotion
1: of the scene, like oh crap, we better get moving here. Oh crap, oh crap. Right. It's the it's the uh, the the epilogue, it's yep. the postscript. Yeah, you know, this is this is what takes us directly into a new hope. We had the story told. This is that extra little bit that connects it all. And it is so important to this movie, not necessarily the story, but it's important to this movie in the way that it connects it to everything else. Right. And it's also just freaking cool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: you know i mean this rogue one has is very clearly like an ep, uh, a prologue and an epilogue which star wars movies typically don't have um yeah. and right like a lot of people still like this is their favorite fil- scene in the movie um and i certainly understand why i mean when i first saw the movie this was my favorite moment as well but as i you know come to really love the movie i, I at this point, like if this scene wasn't there, I wouldn't care because this movie is still perfect. Um, but it definitely adds something, right? And I, it's not just fan service. Like, yes, just, and, and to be fair, right? Gareth did say he wrote that that moment very last minute. Like, they went back in post production and in the reshoots to do that. Like, they didn't originally have it in there. Um, and right, his line of thinking was like, "Geez, this this would be a missed opportunity if I don't utilize Vader in this way." Um, yeah. and, and I agree. Like, that's absolutely true. But, right, when the epilogue piece starts, what is the musical cue? Well, it's this piece called Hope, weirdly enough, but it's ultimately this crazy frantic choir that um reminds us of Revenge of the Sith, yeah, and um if if any of you haven't listened to um
1: sorry i I just ahead. have to mention that you know that scene with Leia, I think is essential to all of this because that sums up the ex- extent of the sacrifice that our heroes gave yep. is that they gave us hope. Right. They gave us a fighting shot. Now we can do this. Sorry. Go ahead and talk no. about the, the soundtrack now.
0: No, all I was going to say is um, it's been pointed out since the film has been out for a while though, that the the choir also, if you slow it down, they're actually the notes. They hit mimic the Imperial March, which I just think is really cool. Ah, I never knew that, that- until I heard that. Um, online
1: so that makes sense and i can kind of i can kind of see it now i'll have to go back and re-listen to it but i can see it yeah oh man carl so i love this movie carl yeah we could probably do another commentary on this and not repeat anything we said easy (laughs) (laughs) let's do it this episode is four hours and four hours and 20 minutes long go right right (laughs) yeah Let's do it again. Hit repeat and uh, we'll watch it again. Um, (laughs) I I I
0: love this movie. Absolutely love this movie.
1: Yeah. This is one of the best things Disney has done since it acquired Lucasfilm. Um, 100% agree. It's so freaking good, which gives me hope for Han Solo or Solo. Excuse me. Me too.
0: So, by the way, I am I am so so excited for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm more. It's so funny because, I mean, it, since the Disney era, yes, the most excitement I have felt was for Force Awakens because, understandably, it was the first movie back in like 15 years. Mm-hmm. But the other movies I've been most excited about in a more intense way have been these standalones. Like, yes, I was excited for Last Jedi. But it was again. It was like a prolonged period. I I knew I was going to be excited from day one because I was so excited about the ending of Force Awakens. Rogue One didn't really care about it until like the last few months beforehand. I was and I just but like there was like this intense excitement. And same with Solo. Now like we're only a few months away. We finally get the trailer, and I am like intensely excited. I'm more excited about Solo than I am Episode Nine. If they were like, oh, Episode Nine is going to be come out coming out later this year, I'd be like, whatever. I want to see Solo. <laughs> <laughs> um. But but anyway, as far as Rogue One goes, this movie just it, it it's just so beautiful. I love it.
1: Yeah. It's beautiful, it's fun, it's exciting, it looks cool. There's fantastic characters. Yeah. Um and and it tells a story that we didn't necessarily need to know, but that we are better for knowing, I think. You agree. know, as far as Star Wars fans. Completely so, agree. Yeah. Um. So anyway, there you have
0: it, everybody. Our Rogue One audio commentary. Um. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And as you know, as always, feel free to share any of your thoughts you're having Um. about this.
1: Because uh, my goodness, this is just such a great film. It is. This is not going to be the last time we're going to talk about Rogue One. Because, I mean... You heard us gushing about the movie. We can't help ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but uh, as you get ready for us to come back for our next episode, be thinking about our poll. Uh, we want to know who what your favorite musical moment from A New Hope is. See how we just... Lead right into A New Hope from Rogue One. <laughs> yes. We and, totally planned that, didn't we, Carl? I, I know. Well, and it
0: also works out perfectly, too, because next week we're going to go revisit something we haven't done in a while in light of Last Jedi. But we're going to go back to our Act series and look at – we're starting finally Act
1: 3s of the Star Wars films. So we're going to look at Act 3 of A New Hope next week. Yes. Yeah, so there you go. It's, it's like It's like we planned it, Carl. As George Lucas would say, it's like poetry. They rhyme. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like George Lucas said, there were always six movies, so there were always nine movies. (laughs) Um, There were always only three, actually. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. um, Good old George. But that being said, Carl, if people want to weigh in on the poll, if they want to weigh in on any of our thoughts on Rogue One, where can they do that? Of course
0: they can do it on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Wampasler. Um our email is Podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support the show on our Patreon, which is always much appreciated, you'd also get access to many, many episodes each week that Jason and I are doing simultaneously. Um just gotta pledge a dollar, head on over to Patreon.com slash podcast.
1: Yep. And those are fun. Carl's got his uh Star Wars Reflections Reflections, thank you Uh, Star Wars Reflections and I've got the uh, Wampus Lair background spotlight so you should really be uh, in on those, those are fun for us to do so yeah, but they really are anything else Carl before we wrap this up and enjoy the rest of the music here (laughs) I am all set Alright, well, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. It's been episode number 270 Rogue One Commentary For Carl, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time uh, I just We will see you next time in the Wampus Lair. Lair. Oh my god I was listening to the music